big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. I know you are so excited to get back into Sense and Sensibility. But before we begin, we have to thank our newest patron, Katie. Welcome to the team. And a very special shout out to our patron, Ivard, who upgraded their pledge and whose name I am certain I just butchered. If you want to be like these awesome people and get access to our notes, outtakes, bonus episodes, and more, head on over to patreon.com slash pod and prejudice to see how you can support us. And now enjoy this week's episode, which you have been waiting for so patiently, covering chapters 23 through 25 of Sense and Sensibility. So you have wine. Mm -hmm. I have a cocktail I made. This cocktail is vodka, Mm -hmm. a splash of elderflower liqueur, Mm -hmm. half a lime, Mm -hmm. and water. (laughs) That's funny, Becca, because when I was going to make a kombucha cocktail I was gonna do vodka elderflower liqueur and kombucha it's what I had let's be very clear I bought elderflower liqueur because we used it for some live streams you still have that same bottle yeah I don't drink a lot of elderflower liqueur I don't drink a lot of uh hard liquor I drink mostly beer and wine Mm -hmm. so I looked around I I'm out of beer because I accidentally bought non-alcoholic beer recently oops I don't have any wine right now I had about a half shot of whiskey left and a little bit of vodka in my freezer and elderflower liqueur. And then I had no juice. So I squeezed half a lime into some vodka and elderflower liqueur and topped it off with water. You know, I, I know I've had friends who have ordered that. Not that particularly, but like vodka and water. These chapters are uh, petty, so they require some alcohol. Oh, the tea. The tea. <laughs> This is Becca. This is Molly. We are here to talk about Jane Austen. We are here specifically to talk about chapters. Well, we're talking about Sense and Sensibility, and we're talking about either Volume 2, Chapters 1 through 3, or Chapters 23 through 25, depending on what edition of the book you have. Yes, I think Molly and I both have the edition without the volumes in it. Nope. (laughs) Oh, do you have the volume? I've got the volumes, so what I thought maybe I would do is I'll put little numbers next to them to remind myself what number we're actually on and then that's how I'll label them. Smart. Very smart. Okay. In case you're new to this podcast, I, Becca, have read many a Jane Austen. And I, Molly, have only read Pride and Prejudice and we read that in season one of this podcast. So if you want to hear us do that, check it out. Otherwise, join us for Sense and Sensibility, which is what a trip it's been. Uh, Yes, I love. So so listeners, just to be clear, I read Molly's notes before we recorded this episode and I nearly lost my mind because her first note was this is not a Jane Austen novel. It's. And my first thought was, you've only got one to compare it to. I know, but what I meant by that is more like, think about how we think of Jane Austen, not necessarily how the people in our 
online community thing from Jane Austen because now I'm very entrenched in like Austin Instagram and Austin Twitter. So like people do think of Jane Austen this way. But growing up, like you think of Jane Austen as like, oh, hoity-toity, we're in the classics and blip-a-dee-blop and we stand six feet apart. But that is not what's happening. blip bop I don't know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I, I totally get what you mean. You mean like our patriarchal society is like hmm, prim and proper women's lit. Yes. Yeah. And I guess I just think of it as like, it's the same with Shakespeare, like not even that, but just like it's old timey. So people assume, or at least I assumed that it wouldn't be dishy. Oh, no. Sense and sensibility brings it with the dish. The drama. <laughs> so... Where we left off before these chapters was Eleanor learning that her love, Edward Ferrers, Eddie, if you will, is engaged to a woman of inferior circumstances. Plot twist. Truly the largest plot twist. A twist. Ever. Second only to Luke, I am your father. I'm sorry, to no. I am your father. We've talked about this before. Yeah, wait, wait. It's like, no, I am your father. No! That's impossible! Let's get to the chapters. Let's do. So that all happened with Eddie. Now Eleanor is sad, but she reflects on everything, and she decides that there's too much proof for her to deny that Lucy is telling the truth. She gets a little mad, and I love this for her. Well, only for a minute. She she gets <laughs> indignant at his ill treatment of her, and then she gets mad at herself for falling for it. But she's like, oh, I can't believe this happened. But then, and this surprised me, she decides that he wasn't intentionally deceiving her, like he wasn't cheating, that he might have loved Lucy when he became engaged to her at 19, but there's no way he still does. And that that surprised me. That's not where I saw this going. I was like ready to pummel Eddie into the ground. Oh, yeah, you were. I could feel the blood boiling. And it's it turns out I think Eleanor is taking a more nuanced approach to this. Eleanor is taking a very Eleanor approach to this. Yes. You could say nuanced for sure. Yes. And I mean, I love this part because you can see how her mind works as she's processing all of this. Like when she's like, did I imagine he loved me? And then she goes through her brain and notices how uncomfortable Fanny was and how much her mother notices it. And then she's like, no, I didn't make that up. Other people noticed it. And I love that because that's how my brain works. Yeah. And also, it's actually a very interesting foil to Lizzie's mind in the letter chapter of Pride and Prejudice. Mm -hmm. You see her processing through this chapter. And while she's processing, you kind of see how she's going through all the events we have seen in the book so far and being like, what happened there? What happened there? What happened there? But Eleanor, she's like, her instinct is towards the self-doubt. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, okay, wait, am I really this stupid? No, let me go back and let me think about it. Point A to point B, point B to point C. She's just connecting the dots, figuring out that she didn't make these things up, which is very interesting in contrast to Lizzie, who's like, fuck this. I'm right. And then she's like, wait a minute maybe I'm stupid. Yeah, they definitely have different ways of going about it, but the way that this chapter reads is very similar to the way that that chapter reads, which is like we realize it with Eleanor. Absolutely, because Jane Austen is a great writer. That she is. 
So she thinks to herself that it's his fault anyway for hanging around Norlin so much. Like when he realized he was catching feelings for her, he should have stopped coming around. However, he did not. She thinks then, because she's Eleanor, that if he had injured her, how much more had he injured himself? And then she starts feeling bad for him. And I think, and I'll say this again later, but I think we're giving him too much credit. <laughs> I want to I want to hear your take on that. I'll give it more later because it definitely comes up more a little later on. But uh, just planting that seed right now. So she thinks that he's gotten himself stuck with this illiterate, artful, and selfish woman when really his affections lie with Eleanor. And that sucks for him, which it, it does. But hmm. she thinks quote, the youthful infatuation of 19 would naturally blind him to everything but her beauty and good nature, which is what we talked about in our last episode with the Palmers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Except later we find out that the Palmers are newly wed. Oh, yeah. No, it's actually quite tragic. (laughs) They're having a baby. That's like what you're supposed to do in your first year of marriage in this time period. (laughs) Yeah. But like the, the thing that I was picking up on, I guess that's the same as like, oh, hot girl. Yeah, I mean, uh, Jane Austen is very savvy to the way that some straight men's minds work. I'm using my language very carefully here because I don't want to generalize too much. Sure. But there is a habit certain men have of, how do I put this delicately, following their dicks into trouble. Yes, and I think that we can safely say that Eddie hath done that. Oh, yeah. Similarly to also the Bennets. To Lydia a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say to Wickham and Lydia for sure. And I think the difference here is that Lucy Steele is a terrible, terrible choice. She's not only a terrible choice, she's a terrible person. Yeah, but like you could make an argument that Lydia is not a great person. I would argue with you, but you could make that argument. Sure. Like Lucy Steele has no connections. She's illiterate. She's uncultured. And... She's ignorant and rude and manipulative. There's like, that is a trap. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, I don't even think, I don't think she's ignorant. I think she very much knows that she is awful. Oh, I mean, ignorant in terms of like. Society. Society. Sure. Yeah. I get all of that societally, like that she's a bad choice. But the thing that gets me the most about her is that she's a villain. And she's a villain in a way that. We talked about Fanny Dashwood being a villain. Yo, fuck Fanny. Fuck Fanny. But fuck Lucy. Because at least Fanny is outright about it. She's like, yeah, you don't get any of this furniture because you suck and I'm the mistress of this household now and you need to leave. Lucy is like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for breaking the ice. I thought I had offended you. (laughs) She's so girl mean. It's crazy. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, okay, okay. So Lucy Steele is Regina George. Oh, yeah. And Anne Steele is Karen. Yeah, or Gretchen, one of the two. I think she's a little too dumb to be Gretchen. Yeah, but she's also, like, as annoying, I want to say, because Karen's, like, only sin is that she's kind of stupid. Gretchen is, like, the best. (laughs) I love Gretchen. She's great. She's so try-hard and such a disaster. I'm sorry that people are so jealous of me, but I can't help it that I'm popular. But when she got the hoops for Hanukkah and then she couldn't wear them because hoops were Regina's thing. It was so sad. 
so sad. No, I feel bad for Gretchen. I, I like Gretchen, but Gretchen is annoying. They're all annoying. I mean. Nah, Regina's not annoying. Regina's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I would follow Rachel McAdams into a pool of fire. I just. Do you know she she filmed that while she filmed The Notebook? I know. I saw that recently and I was like, boy, do I feel old, first of all. Oh, my God. She was our age. <laughs> When she was our age, she was in the two most iconic movies of that decade. Uh, on the other hand, when she was our age, she was playing a teenager. So how old are we really? So there's still hope. But I'm just thinking about <laughs> how old I was when those movies came out. And it was a long time ago. 2004. That was 16 years ago. 17 16, years ago. 16 years ago. 17 years ago, I think. 2004? Yeah. 2004. 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, She's no longer 19, so being that ignorant, like you said, is no longer cute. Which, not a great move on Jane Austen's part from pointing this out, but I also think there's a way to read it to be like, when you're around someone who's fake, even if you're charmed by them at first, eventually that gets really old. Yes. The way that it was framed does sound a little sexist, but it's a sexist concept. Oh, yeah. It's super sexist. Jane Austen is not above sexism. Right. She's not. And and also she's calling it out. I think it's like clear that it's like this is how men think. And yeah, her fakeness would have been revealed to him in that time had he spent a lot of time with her, though I don't think that he has in those four years based on what we hear. Eleanor also thinks that if Eddie's mom would have been upset had she been marrying Eddie, like she had thought she would be, then she must be livid about him and Lucy, or she would be if she knew. So like, she's just thinking through everything like, "Mm, yeah, this is just really bad for Eddie in a classic, classic Eleanor manner. And she feels worse for Eddie than she does for herself. this This all says a lot about who she is as a person. Yeah. That she's like, yeah, the love of my life is engaged to someone else that sucks for him. (laughs) It also says a lot about Lucy as a person, too. Yes. I mean, we're going to get to it in the study questions a little bit, but what is your take on how and what Edward did here? Again, I think we're giving him too much credit by feeling bad for him. I don't think that we can feel bad for him right now. Well, I have two takes. One, yes, it does suck. He got engaged to someone who sucks because she was hot and young and he was young and dumb. And he said multiple times that during his early 20s, late teens, he was being idle and making dumb choices. And so he made a bad choice. And then he fell in love. And that's about where I can stop feeling bad for him. So what would you have him do? I would have had him break it off with Lucy. Ha ha. Here, here's the crux of the issue. How old is Lucy? 23. In Austin times, what does that look like? Marrying age. It's a little older. A little older than marrying age. Well, she's waiting for him. But that's not his problem. That is most certainly his problem. Why? (laughs) Well, I don't want to get too far into it, but basically there are reasons why he might feel obligated to marry her. 
I can't find a single one at this point. So I'm looking forward to getting deeper into it. And you don't have to say anything more on it, but I will as we continue through this chapter and the next one continue to bash him. Okay. Like I'm not taking anybody's side, but Eleanor's here because the rest of them suck. So that being said, Eleanor does such a good job hiding this whole thing that's going on that no one would expect from an external perspective that she's mourning Eddie. It does say apparently Marianne is also doing a good job of hiding her turmoil because if you looked at the two of them, you wouldn't see that Marianne is also peeking out the window every second to see that Willoughby's there. Like she's doing an okay job of hiding it too. So Mm -hmm. good on the two of them. Eleanor is actually glad that this is a secret because that way she doesn't have to talk about it since she knows that her mom and Marianne would both be like, fuck that guy. And that would just make it worse. This is such a relatable feeling for me. (laughs) (laughs) This is this is why I don't tell anybody how I'm feeling unless I'm like sure it's going to be fine. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's stressful. Super relatable. It even says that she believes that she's stronger alone, which I think is like, on the one hand, yes, strong, independent woman. On the other hand, this is going to come back to bite Eleanor in the butt. I'm positive. They wouldn't plant a sentence like that. I'm stronger alone. She needs to learn how to ask for help. Oh, yes, certainly. She decides that she does want to talk to Lucy again about this to get more deets because... One, she really wants to know if Lucy actually loves Eddie or if she's just being conniving. And two, she wants to make Lucy believe that she has no feelings for Eddie, like her Eleanor, because right now she thinks that Lucy suspects them and she feels like Lucy's jealous of her because it was clear that Eddie spoke very highly of her and also because of what Sir John hinted at, which I have been saying that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good catch by Molly. Thank you so much. It's so obvious, like, obviously. And so, like, there's no way Lucy doesn't know. And Eleanor's thinking, there's no way Lucy doesn't know. And Eleanor thinks the proof that Lucy knows is that she confided in her in the first place because why else would she do so? And this is what I was saying, other than to prove to Eleanor that she has the superior claim on Eddie. Like, guess what? We're engaged. There's no other reason why she would have said that. Not to pull it back to Mean Girls again, but... Your hair looks so sexy pushed back. Katie, doesn't <gasps> his hair look so sexy? Oh my god, back? I'm so ready! I'm so proud of us for this connection that we've made. I mean, Tina Fey, when she made Mean Girls, was trying to point out a dynamic that society, not women inherently, but society puts into women and that does come out in certain female interactions, which is this like under the radar, nice, mean, manipulation, Mm. competition over men situation. That sociological observation on the part of Tina Fey is also a sociological observation on the part of Jane Austen in this moment. And it's way more extreme in the Austen world because nowadays fighting over men is just because society teaches us we have to be valuable to men. Back then, it's, you know economic and societal prospect. Hashtag the economics of dating in Jane Austen. Graham, the sting, please. Thank you. So therefore, Tina Fey equals the Jane Austen of our time. Tina Fey, if you would like to come on this podcast, we'd love to have you. Anytime, truly. (laughs) Eleanor starts thinking of Lucy as her rival. They use the word rival a bunch of times, which I like because, again, I like Eleanor getting mad. 
I like when she stands up for herself and I like when she actually feels things. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, if anything from this chapter, you can tell despite outer appearances, Eleanor is certainly feeling things. Feeling things indeed. She decides to let Lucy have Eddie, which I was surprised about. And she wants to convince Lucy that she's not sad about it. I think she's a little bit proud. Oh, yeah. She is definitely a little bit proud here. And also, like, again, this is why I'm an Eleanor. Because if I am about to get caught in a moment of embarrassment, the denial and the I'm okay Mm. of it all, so important. Mm -hmm. You know that feeling where, like, someone's trying to embarrass you with a crush and you're like, I don't have any feelings for that person, even if you're, like, pining over them and, like, picturing you like kissing them to Adele or whatever. Yeah, this is why you're an Eleanor and I'm a Marianne because I would not be able to lie. <laughs> exactly. This is this is exactly what I'm talking about. Like not everyone is either an Eleanor or Marianne because we as women are complex creatures that cannot be put into a binary. But Jane Austen really has identified two ways to process heartbreak, uncertainty, longing, You have the Marianne way of playing piano, reading poetry, crying. Everyone knows. And then you have the Eleanor way of sucking it in. (laughs) Sure. Well, on the one hand, yes. On the other hand, Eleanor is being a little bit similar to Marianne in that she's engaging in some self-destructive behaviors. Oh, yes. Namely, (laughs) she thinks she can go right up to Lucy and have this conversation. And it even says she thinks she's 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 gone through the worst of it already. She's going to be fine to hear about it a million more times. And like she thinks this to herself. So she's about to go and really just press that self-destruct button. And she does. Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah. And let's discuss that. Let's discuss it. First, they don't really get a moment together because every time they hang out, the Middletons are like, let's do games. So they're like not hanging out for a while. But then one day John comes and he's like, I'm going to dinner in Exeter. And Lady Middleton's going to be so alone aside from her mom and the Steels. The Steels. <laughs> Just hilarious. Oh, John Middleton. John Middleton. He needs it to, every night to be a party. Cheers to that, John Middleton. You know what? Same. Every record session, different cocktail. Yeah. I'm drinking vodka and water right now. <laughs> so Eleanor is like, yeah, that sounds good. That might give me a chance to talk to Lucy. They go. Everyone's kind of bored. They sit down to play a game. And Lady Middleton says to Lucy, I am glad you are not going to finish poor little Anna Maria's basket this evening, for I am sure it must hurt your eyes to work filigree by candlelight, and we will make the dear little love some amends for her disappointment tomorrow, and then I hope she will not much mind it. The passive aggression. Oh, yes. I looked up filigree. It's like intricate work with silver and gold wire. Mm Mm-hmm. To just just let everyone know. And then Lucy takes the hint, and she's like, oh, yeah, no, I'm going to go do that right now. I'm going to go finish the basket tonight so lucy goes to go finish the basket and everybody else sits down to cards except marianne is like i hate cards and goes and plays the piano (laughs) marianne's in rare form in this episode i meant this chapter yeah marianne's um she's she's really really absent from these few chapters it's really weird she wasn't in the last like three episodes i think it was really like the last two i think she just hasn't been a part of it and i realized at the end of these chapters that I've kind of started to care less about her storyline. And I am sure that Jane Austen's going to bring it back and flip back and forth. Well, I don't want to go too far into it, but I think that the last chapter puts us squarely back into what's going on with Marianne. 
But I think uh, Jane Austen is decidedly mum about Marianne in these chapters. Yeah. I think that's intentional, probably to make us forget about Willoughby and what's he doing. So, hmm. Whomst. 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 So Eleanor then is like, Marianne's a really good piano player and trying to like make everybody forget that she was just rude. And then she goes, you know what? I should probably help Lucy because if we're going to get that basket finished tonight, she's going to need some help, which was very smooth because she gets on Lady Middleton's good side and then she gets to go have a moment alone with Lucy. But I did have a question. What's a rubber of casino? They're playing casino and she keeps talking about a rubber. I have no idea. I don't like the way it sounds. (laughs) Oh, before we move on, I did want to point out something about you not uh, caring about Marianne in the last few chapters. Sure, sure, sure. You said the same thing about the Eddie Eleanor plotline. <gasps> I did. Yeah. Fascinating. Look at Jane Austen flipping the script on me. Yeah, and you were like, I thought this plotline was over. <laughs> I really did. I thought he wasn't coming back. You gotta trust Jane. I trust in Jane. In Jane we trust. In Jane we trust. A t-shirt? In Jane we trust. Oh my God, I would wear that t-shirt. All right. I'll see what I can do. So Eleanor goes to go do the thing with Lucy. She's pleased with herself for sucking up to Lady Middleton so successfully in a way that Marianne would never have condescended to do. I do like the little comparisons we get between the two of them. Um, And then since Marianne is playing the piano very loudly, Eleanor feels she can safely discuss Eddie with Lucy, which leads us into chapter 24. And this is where you wrote down, quote, this is straight up not a Jane Austen novel. This is a CW soap. The level of calculating going on here. That made me laugh so hard. It is. It feels like a CW show. Oh my god. I mean, yeah, it's it's very much drama. The drama. It's a drama. And what you see here is really a battle of wits. A battle of wits indeed. A battle of one wit and one person who is just I mean Lucy is if nothing else at least good at this kind of smart yes cunning oh she's cunning she's like a Slytherin yeah <laughs> yeah she is entirely a Slytherin she's a Slytherin Eleanor is a Ravenclaw mm-hmm. Marianne's a Gryffindor mm-hmm. Margaret is a Hufflepuff oh I was gonna say Eddie's a Hufflepuff oh god Eddie at this point I can't even he's a he's a muggle in your brain <laughs> Eddie's a muggle I'm mad at him All right, so so Eleanor brings up Eddie, and Lucy is like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for breaking the ice. I thought I had offended you, and Eleanor is like, no, I was honored that you chose me to confide in. This is just, they are being back and forth with the passive aggression. Lucy is like, you kind of responded with coldness and displeasure when I talked to you, but I'm really glad to know it was all in my head. And Eleanor is like, I know that you're in a really tough place since Eddie's dependent on his mother. And Lucy says she's really used to a small income, so she doesn't care how much money that that Eddie has, but she doesn't want to rob him, so they're going to wait. With any other man, she would be really frustrated by the waiting, but with Eddie, it's worth it. I'm sorry I'm doing this voice. (laughs) I mean, it, it really fits because it's that, like, fake nice. Yes. They're being so fake nice. It's like you go a little into your nose and then start enunciating really, really well. And then every sentence becomes a question. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, honey? Oh, mm. yeah. Of course I do. Oh, my gosh. She yeah. so cute. So Eleanor, in response to her saying all that, is like, oh, you must really trust him then that you think in the past four years that you're both still going strong. And like, you know, if 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 in the last four years your feelings had grown less strong, then your situation would be pitiable. And 
I'm wondering is is she trying to make Lucy doubt in his feelings at this point or is she just like shooting the shit? I think she's trying to probe into whether or not Lucy has some reason to be sure. Mm, that's more Eleanor. That's more Eleanor than what I was thinking, which was like, are you sure he still likes you? There is definitely an element of it there. Eleanor is not above that. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Lucy then looks at her and is like, no, I have no doubt in the world of his love for me. And quote, Eleanor hardly knew whether to smile or sigh at this emotion. At first when I was reading this, I, I didn't really know what to make of that sentence. But then I thought about it like smile, probably meaning like a little bit laughing at her or sigh being like, huh, I'm depressed because I think that she's trying to figure out how she's feeling. She doesn't know whether she should feel bad for Lucy for being so sure when like knowing that she's wrong or should she hate her for being the worst? I think it's a combination of a lot of that stuff. The whole situation is sort of somewhere between laugh and cry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she knows. She knows Edward loved her. Mm-hmm. I believe her about that. But again, I think we're giving him too much credit. Okay. So then after a bit of silence, Eleanor asks if they're really going to just sit around waiting for Mrs. Ferris to die. Because that would be a really long time like why not just risk temporary anger by telling her the truth I have to say though I wouldn't be me if I didn't cry murder right now well listen sense and sensibility has already taken a lot of dramatic turns that you didn't expect yeah who's to say that Mrs. Ferris won't spontaneously combust who's to say yeah at this point in time at this point in time no one knows you all might know I know Becca knows Lucy says that Mrs. Ferris is a headstrong, proud woman, and if they even risked telling her the truth, she would probably disown Eddie on the spot. And gosh, yeah, that does suck. And she's like, so for Eddie's sake, we can't tell her. And Eleanor is like, and for your sake, too, or, quote, you are carrying your disinterestedness beyond reason, which she is. And Eleanor knows it, and Lucy knows that Eleanor knows it. Yeah. Do, do you understand what that means, basically? Eleanor's saying, you can't really not care about all this stuff. You can't think that your love for Eddie and his love for you is going to save all of what's happening. Like, it's not going to save you. I also think it's um like, well, yeah, you care whether or not he has that money, too, unless you're, like, so completely uncaring about finances. Right. Yeah. And she knows that in this time period, no woman can purely want to marry for love. Like, it has to be a little bit about money. Yeah. And Eleanor has always been that way. And she's always commented on that sort of thing. And Lucy has to care because she is a conniving. (gasps) Is she trying to get his money? It's not clear, is it? It's not. I hadn't even thought about that possibility. You hadn't thought about the possibility that the economics of dating in Jane Austen would be relevant to this match? No, I knew that it would be, but I didn't think of the fact that, like, she might be only in it for the money. Because she's poor, poor. Yeah, she's poor, poor. I don't know why I'm just making this connection now. She doesn't mind waiting because she wants the money. And Eleanor is calling her out on that. I hope our listeners don't think I'm dumb. I just, the connection was, like, I knew what was happening, but the connection that, like, perhaps it's not about love for Lucy or not about status or whatever. Oh, yeah. That's why 
Eleanor wanting to know whether or not Lucy really loved Edward. Because he's he's going to be rich if he gets his inheritance. Super, super rich. <gasps> oh, that makes me so mad. Oh, my God. But it's not clear. It's not. And that's why I'm going to go ahead and say that I'm not dumb. <laughs> You're not dumb. You're not done. I was, I was going to come to your, your defense there. Thank you. It's not clear from the face of this book. Because she's trying to make it seem like she's not that interested in the money and that she doesn't mind waiting. But girl is 23 like we just said yeah yeah it's a tough situation for everyone involved yes for sure hello it's molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts hot and bothered hosted by returning pot and prejudice guest vanessa zoltan is a podcast that treats romance as sacred You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. After another silence, Eleanor asks if Lucy knows Robert, and Lucy says, he's a silly coxcomb, which, what's a coxcomb? Let me look it up. I'm guessing from context clues that it's just, it's a guy who's like, look at me, I'm flouncy. Yes, I think that's exactly what it is. Nice. A vain and conceited man, a dandy, which isn't a dandy a queer-coded word back in the pre-code era? Yes. Oh, he's he's not canonically gay, if that's what you're wondering. Dang. Um, I think they're just saying he's flouncy. He's all appearance and no substance, all style and no substance, as they would say on the Great British Baking Show. And at this point, Anne pipes in and is like, oh, who are you talking about being a coxcomb? Oh, they must be talking about their favorite bows. And Lucy's like, our favorite bows are not coxcombs. And then Mrs. Jennings says, well, Miss Dashwood's favorite bow is not a coxcomb. But for Lucy, there's no telling who she likes. Like, he might be a coxcomb. And then Anne says, Lucy's bow is quite as modest and pretty behaved as Miss Dashwood's bow. <laughs> Which I think what that, that section might be my funniest quote. So I'll read it back word for word in the study questions. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> so good. So then there's some more silence. And then Lucy tells Eleanor that she has a plan. Her plan is that she wants Eddie to take orders. 
meaning in the church, and Lucy hopes that maybe Eleanor could persuade her brother to give Eddie the Norland living. <laughs> First of all, no. No way. Why are you... Ugh. Second of all, rude. Rude? No? Bad? Wrong? How dare you? Eleanor is like, no? Eddie's Fanny's brother. Why doesn't he ask Fanny to ask my brother? Fanny's literally married to her brother. Like, it's a one step too much separation, basically, to ask her to do it when Eddie himself is literally related to them. Mm -hmm. It's just a little bit too far. Then Lucy says Fanny wouldn't approve of him taking orders, and Eleanor's like, then my recommendation wouldn't do anything. Like, if she said against it, she said against it. After another long pause, there's a lot of long pauses in this part, Lucy goes, ah, well, we might as well just call it off. What would you do in this situation? Yeah, there's it's just Lucy's just, like, playing with Eleanor like she is a little mouse and Lucy is the cat. Yes. Yes, indeed, she is. And I just want her to stop asking Eleanor for advice. And Eleanor wants her to stop asking for advice. And she says, I'm not going to answer that. You only want me to say one thing and you won't listen to me if I say the other thing. And Lucy says she thinks more highly of Eleanor's judgment than anybody else in the world. And if Eleanor says that she should break up with Eddie, then she would do it on a dime. And Eleanor, first, she blushes for the insincerity of Eddie's future wife, which is, again, showing that she cares more about Eddie than herself, which I don't think that it's warranted because he sucks. <laughs> Second, she says, that's too much power that she did not ask for. She is in an indifferent party and they have their own shit to work out. And Lucy, I wanted to read her response because it's brutal. Oh, yeah. God, it's brutal out here. Shouts to Olivia if you want to come on this podcast. Oh, God, please. So after Eleanor says, I'm an indifferent party, I'm an indifferent person, I can't be involved in this, Lucy says, "'Tis because you are an indifferent person that your judgment might justly have some weight on me. If you could be supposed to be biased in any respect by your own feelings, your opinion would not be worth having." The passive aggression. Oh, yes. She's taunting her. She's taunting her. After another long silence, because Eleanor does not respond to that, as she should not, Lucy asks Eleanor if she's coming to town in the winter, and Eleanor says, definitely not. Lucy's like, oh, surely John and Fanny would have invited you, and Eleanor's like, I'm not going, regardless. And Lucy says, oh, that's too bad. Yeah, I'm only going to see Eddie anyway. <laughs> I haven't seen you this fired up since Fanny. I'm real. I mean, yeah. And then Eleanor goes to the card table feeling bad for Eddie that he's going to be so unhappily settled and blah, 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 blah. This is where in my notes, I was like, this is too much credit to give him. He made this choice. He dug this hole for himself and has continued to dig it for four years. Because again, I don't think he has any responsibility towards her to stay with this woman. He made this choice for himself and he could have broken it off at any time. I am going to just keep a stone face for now. Okay, sure. We'll talk about it a little bit in the study questions, but I'm going to tread carefully. Okay. So from this point on, Eleanor never brings it up again. Lucy often brings it up, but Eleanor just dismisses her as politely as she can because, quote, she felt such conversations to be an indulgence which Lucy did not deserve and which were dangerous to herself, which, true, good for you. 
then the Steels stay two months at Barton because Sir John keeps inviting them to stay for longer. Wait, there's a fantastic quote about that. I'll read it. The visit of the Mrs. Steele at Barton Park was lengthened far beyond what the first invitation implied. Their favor increased. They could not be spared. Sir John would not hear of their going, and, in spite of their numerous and long-arranged engagements in Exeter, in spite of the absolute necessity of returning to fulfill them immediately, which was in full force at the end of every week, they were prevailed upon to stay nearly two months at the park, and to assist in the due celebration of that festival which requires a more than ordinary share of private balls and large dinners to proclaim its importance. I can't imagine spending two months with the person I hate. Also just like, oh god, we should really go. No, say, well, okay. Uh, yeah. Also, like, what is the festival? Is it just, like, ball season? It's actually not ball season because people go to town for ball season. But I think it's getting there. Mm. Yeah, but, you know, they, as much as kind of like what you were just describing with your imitation of them, I feel like John is the kind of person who will always be like, oh, you don't have to go yet. And they're the kind of people who will be like, well, okay. Oh, <laughs> they're, they are the most annoying type of people. Who in, impinge upon your privacy. Impinge? Did I make that word up? I don't think so. Hang on. Infringe is what you meant to say. That. <laughs> Impingement is something that happens to your rotator cuff. So you didn't make it up, but you used it incorrectly. <laughs> All right. Chapter 25. Mrs. Jennings has a house in town, and she invites Eleanor and Marianne to come. Eleanor immediately says no, thinking she's speaking for both of them when she says they don't want to leave their mother alone. Mrs. Jennings is like, your mom can manage without you. And then she says it won't be any convenience to herself. She'll just send Betty by coach. Who is Betty? Her servant, right? Oh, okay. Because later on, then she talks about Lady Middleton. And then I thought maybe Lady Middleton's first name was Betty. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> I guess Betty's not important. But you know, why would she send her uh, daughter with the carriage? Well, yeah. I guess Betty makes more sense for a servant then. And then she says that once they're there, she'll find them both good husbands because she's done such a good job of marrying off both of her own children, which is funny because both of her children got married to people who were uh, wacky. Not great. Yeah, not great. John is fine. He's just wacky. Yeah, but she should have swapped the daughters, really. Yes. Oh, can you imagine? Oh my God. Wait, wait, wait. I just thought about this. It really Like works. I've never really thought about it before but it would totally work yeah although we've talked before on the pod about how you need a little bit of both in a relationship an introvert and an extrovert yeah but it's too extreme in these cases it's true that's true. think about how much fun john middleton and mrs palmer would have yeah they would be best friends i mean they'd be in love <laughs> they'd be at least best friends yeah and that's the most you can really ask for in this time period no you could find love molly you could find love too you could find love we learned so Sir John is like, Marianne seems like she would go if Eleanor wasn't saying no. Like, maybe you two should just go by yourself. And Mrs. Jennings like, well, I'll take one or both of them, but the more the merrier, really, about the sisters. 
And then she says, if they both go, they can talk about her behind her back. And I thought that was really cute. Mrs. Jennings is a queen. She's a queen. She's like, I'm an old lady. Like, these two young girls are going to want to hang out with each other and, like, chit-chat about how goofy I am. She's also just, like, gives no shits. It's amazing. I know. I love her. Oh, God. Let us all age to Mrs. Jennings levels with, like, no fucks. Please. She says she needs company since Charlotte has been recently married. And that's when I realized this was a new marriage and they're already so depressed with each other. Well, Charlotte's not, but you know. Marianne then goes into a heartfelt thank you for the invitation. She says it would give her almost the greatest happiness she is capable of to accept the invitation. But Eleanor is right. They don't want to leave their mom. Eleanor then realizes that Marianne really does want to go because Marianne can't lie about anything. And she must just want to go see Willoughby. And so Eleanor doesn't object anymore, but she puts it to Mrs. Dashwood. She's like, let our mom decide. She knows that her mom will say yes, even though it's probably a bad idea for Marianne to go see Willoughby because Eleanor doesn't trust him. Yeah. Because I don't trust him. Something is afoot. So Eleanor is pretty surprised that Marianne would be willing to put up with Mrs. Jennings just to see Willoughby since Marianne hates Mrs. Jennings. I mean, she's just very irritated by her. Yeah, she's got some bitch cracker syndrome going for Mrs. Jennings. Like, she really just, like, grates at Marianne. Yeah. So it's surprising that Marianne is like, yeah, I'll go. Yeah, Marianne wants the D. Yes. The WD, if you will. Very much so. Does she even know where Eddie is? We don't know if she knows. I mean, not Eddie. Willoughby. Yep. Well, Willoughby said he'd be in town. Right, but, like, where? His house? In town. Like, it's town. <laughs> it's London. It's all of London. I know, but only the fancy parts. Right, 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 right. So they bring it to Mrs. Dashwood, and she thinks it sounds like a great idea. She insists that they go. She says, oh, well, you guys and the Middletons are gone. It'll be so quiet here. Margaret and I are going to have such a good time. We're going to play music and read books, and I'm going to redo your bedrooms and... It'll also be good because you'll probably run into your brother and whatever may be his faults or the faults of his wife. Cough, cough. When I consider whose son he is, her own. I cannot bear to have you so wholly estranged from each other. I thought that was nice. It is sweet. She's He's not exactly her son, though. He's her stepson. Oh, John Dashwood. right. When she considers <laughs> whose son he is, her ex-husband. I meant her husband, who's dead. Her, her late husband. Her late husband, thank you. When she considers whose son it is, she's thinking of her love. Yes, it's actually really, really sweet. It's a really sweet sentiment. Oh, <laughs> Molly's moved now, guys. I kind of, I when I read it the first time, I was moved. And then in reading my notes, I forgot that that's what I was kind of reading into it. But I didn't think about the fact that he's not actually her son when I was reading it. I was like, she's thinking of her husband, but I get it now. You might have forgotten. That's why they don't have money. It's because John Dashwood has no obligation to them by blood. Right, because fuck Fanny. Fuck Fanny. Right. They're not really related to, I mean, they're related by marriage. I mean, he's related to the girls, but he's not obligated to them. Like, remember when Charlotte Lucas was talking about, like, being a burden on her family and, like, she has these brothers? Her brothers would have been, like, obligated to care for her. Mm -hmm. John Dashwood's not technically obligated to care for the Dashwood girls. He just should because it's morally correct. But they're his half-sisters. They're from a different marriage. Right. They do not share the same mother. Right. So Eleanor is kind of like, yeah, that all sounds great, except we don't like Mrs. Jennings. Like, we don't want to hang out with her, first of all. Second of all, she wouldn't do a good job at protecting us. 
I kind of got Mrs. and Colonel Forrester vibes. Yep. Like, she's thinking we're going to go to Brighton and get married to trash humans. Yeah, but Eleanor's not getting married to any trash humans. No, but, like, that's the vibe she's nervous about for Marianne, I think. Yeah, for sure. And Mrs. Dashwood then reminds her that... (laughs) (laughs) That Lady Middleton will also be there. We're laughing because my notes say, is that Betty? Is that Betty? So Lady Middleton will also well, be there. Well, she's Betty now. I'm going to call her Betty. <laughs> Betty Middleton. Bet Midler. Did you ever know that you're my hero? Is that a reference or are you saying that to me? Did you ever know that you're my hero? Right. Can I tell you, I'm going to cut this because I'm loopy. But in my mind, as I said, Bet Midler, I was thinking of Betty White. <laughs> no, don't cut that. Don't you dare cut that. Don't you dare. <laughs> Profess your shame to the world, Molly Burdick. World, I'm ashamed. Anyways, Marianne says she doesn't care about putting up with Mrs. Jennings, and Eleanor thinks if Marianne feels that she can put up with Mrs. Jennings, then so can she. Uh, Plus, Eddie won't be in town until February. So Mrs. Dashwood then says if Eleanor wasn't being such a downer, she'd be able to see that it would be good for her to improve her acquaintance with her sister-in-law's family. Basically, like, you're going to be in town. Butter up the Farers. You'll see the Farers. And then Eleanor says, I like Edward Farers very much and shall always be glad to see him. But as to the rest of his family, it is a matter of perfect indifference to me whether I am ever known to them or not. Little record scratch for the rest of the family. Because they don't know what's going on in her life. And they're all shocked. And she's like, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Then they accept the offer. Everyone is thrilled especially john whose quote prevailing anxiety was the dread of being alone he's just happy that there's going to be more people added to the party though so i didn't realize everyone was going yep like everyone's going yep the whole story is just moving down to london except for mrs dashwood and margaret which is a bummer well were they really in the plot at this point becca you know me I cared about them. Don't get me wrong. I love Mrs. Dashwood and Margaret. They're fantastic characters. Yeah, they're not. They're just not driving the plot forward right now. Right. Margaret's not about to swoop in here and like steal one of these men. No, absolutely not. She's a child. Yeah, I know. So Eleanor is really happy to see Marianne. So happy. And Marianne is like really, really happy. But she's also heartbroken to be leaving her mother. And she and Mrs. Dashwood are like, they're on a roller coaster of emotions because they're like, yes, we're so happy. Like, I'm going to London, but oh no, I have to part with my mother. And so they're having extremes. And Eleanor was the only one of the three who seemed to consider the separation as anything short of eternal. <laughs> That's my favorite line. That's one of my favorite lines, too. That was a tie up for funniest quote. So good. So their plan is to leave the first week in January. The Middletons are going to come the next week after that. And the Steels are to come. With the rest of the family? They're coming with the Middletons. So they're also coming the next week in January. Yeah. So why do they say it in three separate parts? I don't know. You're going to have to take it up with Jane Austen. I'll take it up with Jane Austen. And listeners, that's the end of those chapters. So Eleanor's download chapter. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a pivotal scene. So let's talk a little bit about what we're seeing. We talked about this briefly. What we're seeing happen in Eleanor's mind and how she's dealing with this whole situation. She is, like we talked about, turning it on herself a little bit. Being like, did I imagine this? Then being like, no, I didn't imagine this. Then feeling sorry for Edward in all of this. Like, I think the thing here is, 
what Jane Austen's doing is we're putting all the blame on Lucy, which fair, Lucy sucks, but that we can't put all the blame there. Like you can think of it as Lucy is young and seeking a profitable marriage, which again, I hadn't really thought of the money portion of it, like logically, but Lucy's doing what Lucy's going to do. I'm not defending her, but that's something that people do in this time. Eddie had all the power to stop it. I know this is like a whole other subject, but anyway, Eleanor is siding with Eddie and it's distressing to me. All right. Yeah. So then what do you think this reflects of Eleanor's character, this whole portion? She's going to put other people before herself no matter what. Girl is a martyr. Girl is certainly a martyr, but almost to a fault. Oh, yeah. It's frustrating to me. Yeah. And it should be because Eleanor is not defending herself in this situation. Eleanor has rationalized everything she's feeling and thinking away. And Eleanor is like, all right, I can control this. I can do this. I can do this. But we can also see that a lot of her decisions are formed by her emotions, even if she's pressing those emotions down. So we're kind of seeing Eleanor like come a little apart at the little seams. Yes, I think she is. And she's not behaving logically. She's trying to logic away her emotions, but none of it makes any sense. She should be able to see that she's not in the wrong here and that she's being wronged. And yet she's still allowing people to step on her. Yeah, she's coming apart. All right. Now I saved a study question for you to rant about Eddie. (sighs) Give me a rant. Yeah. Say anything you want. I can take it. (laughs) So I think as a society and Jane Austen is doing this, it's I think that there's a patriarchal standard that is on society where we blame a woman for breaking up a relationship if she's cheating. Like if the man is cheating on someone else, we blame the woman that he cheated with. And Eddie could have made this decision on his own. Lucy did not swoop in here and ruin this for them. She was dating him first. Eddie could have broken up with her or he could have stopped coming to Norland so much and seeing Eleanor and spending time with her when he realized he had a crush on her. He had the power in this situation. Lucy was off somewhere else. And I'm not defending Lucy because I don't like her. I think she's cruel and calculating. But Eddie is the one who was in a relationship. Okay. Um, I am. I'm going to hold on to my thoughts on this for now. Okay. I'm going to play the cards close to the chest. Like Colonel Brandon. Yes. Who I miss. I just want to throw that out there. All right. I miss Colonel Brandon too. All right. Uh, I'm not going to say anything about Colonel Brandon either. I'm just going (laughs) to. What I will say is you're picking up on certainly some societal tropes that Jane Austen's dropping, which are not totally fair to Lucy Steele because she's a poor woman of bad circumstances. She got to fell in love, got engaged, and it's not her fault. That she was there first. Right. I will say I don't think she's in love with him. I think she's she's trying to get the bag. That was going to be my next question. What do you think Lucy's game is? Oh, look at that. Do you think she's in love with him or do you think she's trying to get money? At first I thought she was sort of like she was obsessed with their relationship and like wanted to be with him. But I forgot about the whole money thing. Now I think he's trying to get money. <laughs> you forgot about the what thing? I got, forgot about the economics of dating and Jane Austen. <laughs> there it is. There it is. <laughs> and it's funny because like in my mind I was thinking about it. I just wasn't thinking that that could be the reason that she's doing this. We'd been looking at it from Eddie's perspective a lot. We were like, yeah, she's poor. That's bad for him. Like, that's why they're waiting. Hmm. 
She's poor. He's rich. That's good for her. He is so fucking rich. Remember, Fanny Dashwood was like the villain at the beginning because she's like Rockefeller rich and Eddie is also rich. Eddie's her brother. Right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Oh, fuck him. I'm like really mad at him. But yeah, I think that I think Lucy's trying to get the bag. I think that that's probably her sole motive because she sucks. All right, last question before the standbys. It's a city tale now. We're leaving the sea and we're going to the city. We're going to London. (laughs) What do you think is going to happen in London? Willoughby, Brandon, both in London. (laughs) It's happening, everyone. It's It's happening. 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 We're going. We're going to London. We're going to London. We're going to go to the balls. We're going to go to the parties. (laughs) I feel like that gif of Michael Scott going, it's happening. (laughs) Okay, everybody. Everybody stay calm. I can't wait to see Colonel Brandon again. I am very, very curious about Willoughby and how he fits into all of this. And Eddie might be there too in February. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The balls, right? The balls. They're going to the balls. So there's going to be parties. And the Dashwoods haven't been in society since their fall from grace. So that'll be interesting. All right. Funniest quote. So... Eleanor asks if she knows Robert Ferrers, and Lucy says he's a silly and a great coxcomb. Miss Steele turns around and says, oh, they are talking of their favorite bows, I dare say. And Lucy says, no, sister, you are mistaken there. Our favorite bows are not great coxcombs. And Mrs. Jennings says, I can answer for it that Miss Dashwood's is not, for he is one of the modestest, prettiest, behaved young men I ever saw. But as for Lucy, she is a sly little creature. There is no finding out who she likes. And then Anne says, oh, then she looks significantly round at them and says, I dare say Lucy's beau is quite as modest and pretty behaved as Miss Dashwood's. Iconic. Iconic. Great moment. Questions moving forward? Will we see Brandon in London? Will we see Eddie in London? Will we ever get the three of them in the same room? Eddie, Eleanor, and Lucy? Ooh, the drama. Drama. Is Lucy in it for the money? Is Marianne going to see Willoughby? Yeah, I guess everything's going to happen in London, so I'm I'm wondering what's going to happen in London. And who wins the chapters? Gosh, I'm torn between... Eleanor and Mrs. Jennings. I feel like Mrs. Jennings wins this one. She gets a win. Yeah. Yeah. Let's give it to Mrs. Jennings. She was great in this last chapter. And she's taking everybody to the city for the drama. Yeah. She's the cool aunt. Yes. Yeah. All right, listeners, that brings us to the end of this possibly long or very cut down version of Pod and Prejudice. So next episode listeners you just have to read chapters 26 through 28 they're gonna be juicy ones okay okay you ready molly i'm ready (laughs) all right until next time though stay proper and find yourself someone who's gonna play piano loud enough to mask your salty conversation that you're having at the card table i love that thank you Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.